You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. This morning, one of the first things I heard was from Kevin Cook. He told us, and many of you are familiar with our all-in discipleship emphasis, we're trying to get people together every week, praying together in God's Word together. Our dream was to have 40 40 groups doing this. We have 42. Now, what that means is 200 Ridgecrest people are going to be in the Word and praying together once a week, and I am super pumped up about that. Now, on top of that, the Southern Baptist Convention is next week, and I don't have to lead it, so I'm real pumped up about that. I can just go and cause mayhem from the microphones on the floor, so I'm loving that. That's great. Actually, I'm not going to say a thing. I'm just going to go there and vote and be a good boy, okay? I represent you well. Another thing that's got me kind of worked up is my son, uh, he was playing baseball this weekend, and I've told him the only time he can be nasty is on the pitching mound, and he was nasty this weekend. So I'm kind of excited about that. And then I'm going to go, and as soon as I preach the second service today, I'm going to drive to Chicago because, one, I'm crazy, and, two, I miss my daughter, and I'm going to go pick her up from university. So I'm excited about that. So. A lot of reasons for me to be excited and a lot of reasons for you to watch out this morning. All right. So let's go to God's Word together. And if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we have some, some great, great wisdom. Wisdom from above, as the ESV heading has it here. But let's just listen to what James has to say to us. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest, notice this, church, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Lord, make us peacemakers today. We are hungry for a harvest. We are desperate to see you move. We need to experience your power. And so come, Lord Jesus, and begin to ignite a fire in our hearts so that we can be a part of a harvest, a revival, a spiritual awakening that this land desperately needs. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years back, I decided that uh, it was about this time of year. I'd gone to a Southern Baptist convention, and uh, they used to, uh, the annuity board used to have a little medical area where they do your blood pressure and do your blood sugar and things like that, which is a really good service for stressed out preachers. And what I found out was I was stressed out. My blood pressure was high. My blood sugar wasn't quite where it should have been. And so I decided that I was going to get in shape. Now, I wasn't that dumb. I wasn't going to go out and try to run marathons. So I decided the first thing I would do is get myself a bike. Now, I went and got a mountain bike. I got me a Trek, which is a decent bike. And, and there's only one problem with this plan. When you get a bike and you live in a little town called DeSoto, Missouri, 
every direction you go is a hill. I'm not talking about a hill. I'm talking about a hill. Didn't matter which direction you went, you were going to be pedaling uphill. And I kind of knew that, but it's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to try to pedal uphill. And I remember one day, yeah, I almost killed Johnny one time. That's another story for another day. So <laughs> the closest Johnny's come to seeing Jesus is riding a bike with me, and that's a great story for another day. But anyway, <laughs> I forgot about that. Anyway, so one day, one day, I, it's a Sunday afternoon, and I go for a bike ride, and we live pretty close to the local high school. And believe it or not, there was a hill pretty close to the high school. In fact, I was riding from east to west, and you came up behind the high school gym, and you come around the corner just a little bit, and it was kind of low, and you come up that hill, and I'm going to tell you, I was going uphill, and all of a sudden, I had about a 30-mile-per-hour wind right in my face. I was pedaling forward, but I think I was going backwards. Now, that sensation, I'll never forget it. It really was a powerful sensation to, to know that I was exerting that much energy and really not going anywhere. I want you to grab a hold of that feeling because my guess is, is that in ministry, if you love Jesus, if you're the type of person who has a conscience for Christ, there are times when you're pedaling, but it doesn't seem like you're going anywhere. And we all are going to run into this from time to time. Look at verse 13. James is encouraging us to do good things for God. He speaks of good conduct. He also says there that we need to display meekness of wisdom. These are things that we know we need to do, but often it is a hard, hard pedaling that we have to, to do. It's into the wind. When we look at the world today, we know that revival is needed and necessary. This harvest of righteousness that's referred to in our last verse, verse 18, is something that every true child of God ought to be praying for. We are in desperate need for a move of God. Amen? We are in desperate need for a move of God. And the truth is, the church seems to be kind of like your response to that, sort of on board with that idea. Kind of with me. Kind of half asleep. Now listen to me, I'm not trying to be harsh, but the truth of the matter is, the people around us that are lost, they are separated from the love of, of God, and the blood of Christ is the only way. Kelsey mentioned it earlier, the only way that we can be worthy is if the worthy one's blood covers our sins. We have a message that is good news, but it's a message that needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to grasp and grab a hold of the hearts of the people around us. We need to dig deep this morning and try to figure out where we stand with God, whether or not we're experiencing the work of God in our lives. I love Ridgecrest. We have some wonderful saints here, but it's not enough that you're a wonderful saint. You need to be a wonderful saint filled with the wonderful power of Jesus. We need each one of us carrying the load, helping with the cadence of the pedaling here to get up this hill called a fallen world. We have a lot of challenges that lie in our path, but listen, we have the power of God to propel us. You've got to lean into that. But we need to ask, what really is driving our actions? And I want you to think about this. Our motives matter if we are serious about doing work for Jesus. And today, a lot of our text is going to help us think through those very motives, negatively and positively. 
James 3, 13 through 18 is an interesting passage because in a lot of ways it sort of floats here in the text. It doesn't exactly fit the immediate context, but what it is, it's kind of a summary statement of the entire book. It covers some of the key themes, wisdom from chapter 1, faith and works from chapter 2, speech ethics from chapter 3. All these things are interwoven here in this one passage, and I believe that if we will listen carefully today, the Holy Spirit can get a hold of us and get us moving toward the harvest, but we can't give in to the flesh if we want to see a work of the Spirit. And church, what's, what's killing us today, what's killing our witness is too much flesh, not enough spirit. Too much of me and you, and not enough of God. We need more of God, less of us. We need to die to self and live to Christ. Are you following me? We need to pick up the cross and carry it as Jesus has commanded. So let's take a look at what's keeping us from carrying that cross and what's keeping us from moving towards the harvest. Let's talk about how we are fallen and the destructive tendencies that spoil the harvest. One of the things I want to say to you right now, I don't want to get too deep into this. Uh, It's a rabbit not quite worth chasing all the way. But I want you to know that one of the great challenges for pastors and staffs in the church today is that the world wants to kind of tell us how to do business. In other words, a leader like me, um, uh, even in the church, people kind of expect me to be a CEO and to look for the latest things that are working. And, you know, we want to increase our market share and our profitability and all that. Well, not exactly. We just said we want more members and we want a bigger budget. But it's about the same thing. Did you hear what I said? Many times it almost sounds like we're just running a business. And there is such a temptation for guys like me to say, okay, what's the most practical way to get the church bigger? Because then, quote, unquote, everybody wins. But here's the truth. If we are not allowing the spirit to do the growth, then it's man-made and it will come and it will go. It will not be a harvest of righteousness. No, it'll just be something that makes me look good or makes you feel good about your church. Listen, I love the church, and I hope you do too, but here's the deal. We don't want to just be proud of what we've accomplished. We want to be proud because we're a part of something God is up to. And we have to get away from these fallen ideas of what it means to be a successful church. Listen, the world could care less that 200 people at Ridgecrest are going to be praying together, but I want to tell you something. The devil's worried about that. The gates of hell will be shaken by the prayers of God's people. And as we are in God's word together, there's going to be a, uh, an amazing move of God. And it's not going to be a tidal wave on the surface. It's going to be uh, above. It's going to be more below. But when it finally uh, shows itself, it'll be awesome. God is going to do something great. Too much, though, of what we try to do in churches resembles the fallen world. And when it resembles the fallen world, if you look with me here in the text... Verses 14 through 16 shows us what we get. These are the destructive tendencies of a fallen soul. In fact, I would say that Genesis chapter 3, which tells us about the fall of man, as it relates to how that fall can directly impact the church of Jesus Christ, we have it right here. Let's look at some of these terms. I don't want to spend too much time on these terms, but these are pretty powerful and pretty revealing. Notice that James speaks first of bitter jealousy. Notice that right there, bitter jealousy. Now, this is a a word that can mean zeal. So it can be kind of a positive word, but not in this context. That word bitter shows us that this is not about something spiritual. And let me just say this to you. 
You cannot be zealous for self and for the Savior at the same time. Now, I want you to think about that. It's so easy to assume that what you want is what God wants. And so we often bring that not only to our lives and our families, but even to our church. We assume that if my little heart, my precious little heart, my perfect little heart wants it, it's got to be from God. But your perfect, precious little heart might be influenced by sinful things. Now, how do we mitigate that? We mitigate that through the word and prayer, yes, but we need to watch out for bitter jealousy because if we're trying to build something for ourselves, here's what happens. You can't have unity in the church if we're all trying to build something for ourselves. Listen, we're here together in the gospel to build something for Jesus, amen? There is no room for bitter jealousy. The second thing we need to avoid is selfish ambition. This word represents actions that show little respect for the greater good and only serve to promote self. Very similar to bitter jealousy. I want you to notice this. Those who are poor in grace will be rich in pride. You hear me talk often about grace. Listen, that's not a throwaway term. That is the center of what we do. So much of church life today is off the rails because we are rich in pride and poor in grace. We believe that God alone can save sinners like us. We believe that ministry is done by the power of the Holy Spirit through fragile, frail people like you and me. We believe that grace is the answer. There's no room for pride in that equation. It goes on. It speaks of things that are earthly. That adverb means that which is weak or transitory. Listen, that's something that will never leave this world. Listen to me. If we are doing ministry and all we're doing is leaving things that are going to stay in this world, that's not Holy Spirit ministry. Realize that ministry is about reaching souls. Everything you see in this world and in this universe has a shelf life and is going to go away. But every single person has a soul that's either going to spend eternity with God or apart from Him. Ministry is about pouring into people who will last forever, either in God's presence or apart from Him. We are not here to build an earthly kingdom. We are here to point people to the kingdom of God. If we are earthly, then we are also going to be unspiritual. Something that leaves God and spiritual things out altogether. Almost animal-like in nature. Unspiritual, that means actions that have no soul. I want you to think about this. Your actions, when you are not being nice to someone, when you are not being gracious to someone, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize the danger that you are in? Do you realize that when we are living in the flesh, our actions have no soul? In fact, that's the next word here. It speaks of demonic, filled with power from below, or demon-inspired. I hate to say it, but sometimes, you know, we, we don't want to say the devil made us do it, but I'm going to tell you, there, there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. And there are, are, there are demons in this world that are trying to, I think, dissuade us and destroy us. And sometimes you'll hear somebody say something, somebody that you know and, and love and respect, and you just, man, that didn't even sound like them. I think sometimes we're more influenced by these spiritual powers than we realize, and we need to be aware of it. How can we avoid falling prey to demonic, from below, kind of quote-unquote wisdom? Well, we have to have the Holy Spirit put a check on that. When we begin to say something, and again, because of, uh, because of our 
Bitter jealousy because of our selfish ambition. Many times we think that what we think is right. But listen, always submit that to the Lord. Just because it's in your mind doesn't make it holy. What makes it holy is when it matches with the Scriptures, when it's empowered by prayer. And if we don't have that, we'll have disorder. That's disturbance, trouble, instability, a party spirit, or the word I chose to show you here, anarchy. There is no room for anarchy here in the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, if your heart has any of these qualities, you can become an explosive element in the church. These vices do not remain inert. They are explosive, and eventually they will explode. These are not minor problems. Boastful, prideful hearts will quickly consume a church. And if you promote your own agenda, there will not be any room for God's agenda. Church, we don't have room for my agenda or your agenda. We must humbly seek out God's will for our church. Because if we don't, what will happen is is that the devil will run amok in our church. And the wisdom that we think we have will be demon-inspired wisdom that does great harm and great damage to the church. And we do not want that. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want our hearts to be full of Jesus so that as we speak and move and act in this world, people see Jesus. The world doesn't need you on just just you and your wisdom. They need Jesus' wisdom flowing through you. You need to surrender to Him. You need to ask God to remove all these destructive tendencies that we've talked about, allowing the Word of God to guide us to wisdom and to the harvest of righteousness. And what does it mean, though, to be fortified with heavenly wisdom? James speaks of it here in verses 13 and 17 and a little bit in verse 15, I think we can see. But the word wisdom here can mean different things. Uh, The Greeks and the Hebrews sort of had it in a, a different way. They looked at it differently. The Greeks were very analytical in their view of of what wisdom was. The Hebrews were more practical. They were more moral in their understanding. Now look at verse 13. We have two words there. We have that word understanding and then we have the word uh, wise. That's interesting to me. Who is wise and understanding? I think in one way, uh, James is kind of covering his bases here because he's a person with a Hebrew background writing in Greek. So his audience is going to be Hebrew and Greek. And so this is a a very interesting way of kind of doing what preachers have to do all the time, which is walk that middle line between two cultures or two presuppositions. And he says, you know what? Understanding is good. For instance, it is good for you to know the Word of God. To have a knowledge, an analytical knowledge of the Word of God is a wonderful step in the right direction. But here's the deal. Just having an analytical understanding of God's Word doesn't mean that you're going to practically live out the gospel. The idea is you need to know it and do it. Doesn't that sound like a familiar theme in James? That's what we've been talking about now for for several months. It's not enough to just say that you know about wisdom from above, but that you are able to practice it. And that really is what the the writers of the Old Testament, like the book of Proverbs and the other writers of Scripture that give us the kind of that wisdom literature of the Old Testament, they're always pointing us to this this kind of depth of, of understanding of who God is that guides us. And so here's the question, what good is it if good truth doesn't lead to good living? 
Good truth must live, uh, lead to good living. And that's what we're, we're challenging you to think about this morning. You may have been raised in church. You may be a person who knows a lot of scripture and have memorized it by the bushel load. That's fine. But the question really is, are those good words driving good living? Are you impacted and transformed by the word? Don't just be informed by the word. Be transformed by the word. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom from God is wisdom applied. Applied for the sake of the kingdom, not for the sake of the individual, not for the sake of even just the church in terms of the worldly perspective, but for the kingdom of God and the work that the church does for the kingdom. If you were to have a label on your soul, as one commentator suggests you think about this, what would it read? Uh, It's funny now. I mean, everything you get... Like even sometimes a bottle of water, it'll have the contents, you know, and basically it's zero, 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 zero percent, right? And you're thinking, wow, that's helpful. Um, I'll tell you this, like an oatmeal cream pie, I'd rather not see the label because I really like those dudes and they are, they'll kill you. You know, I joked around when I first came here about Pop-Tarts, and you guys gave me like, I think it was about 1.2 million Pop-Tarts. And how in the world I can still fit in this suit? I do not know. Because I ate every one. Now I hate them. Thank you, because now I hate them. I hate them with the passion of a thousand burning suns. I hate them. Okay? So that helped, you know. It's, it's more. But when you read the label on those things we like to munch on, it's a little disconcerting. If someone could read the label on your heart, would it be like water? Nothing. Would it be like an oatmeal cream pie? Not so healthy. What it should read, look at your Bible. I hope you brought it. It's a helpful tool, you know. Verse 17 But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. That's what the label should read on the heart of a Christian. To be fortified with these things is what makes a soul healthy. And just like with all the other things we need, the minerals and vitamins and things that, that we need, a deficiency in any one of these areas can be harmful to your health. Now, I don't want to go down this road. I don't have the time to do it. But you know, this, at this time, literally this month, um, our, our culture is, um, there, there's emphasis on certain elements of sexual freedom that have been bouncing around in our culture for a long time. And um, let me just say this, today we have allowed those voices that, that want us to think that everything goes, that if we stand up for biblical truth that we're hating, let me just say this, we must have verse 17's virtues flowing from our heart. The culture still isn't going to care what, what we say because we're going to say what God's word says and that's going to call out sin when there's sin. But here's the deal. We must love people and be gentle and gracious and winsome. 
We must do this because here's the deal. When they're not giving the Christian perspective, when they're not giving our perspective any respect, they're doing the exact opposite of what they claim we should be doing. We can care for people and love people and disagree with them on these issues. And it's okay to do that. But don't disagree with people based just on your opinions. Make sure you have chapter and verse. Make sure that we're standing not for our preferences, but for the clear teachings of Scripture. And don't allow anger or ugliness to be a part of the conversation. Be the the voice of reason in the room. Always with a smile and with joy and with hope, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been unpopular for about 2,000 years amongst sinners. Those who are lost in sin like to stay in sin and don't want to be told that it's sin. But Jesus died on the cross for sin. And so we preach about sin so that people will turn from sin and come to know the Savior. Amen? It's that simple. And it's that hard. Wisdom from above is what we need. Because the world needs to see the blessed who are pure in heart. Those are the ones who see God. Those are the ones who are able to share the wonderful gospel of peace. I am not here today to give you a gospel of hate. I'm here to tell you a gospel of peace. It does challenge us. It does shake us up. When we do things our way and it doesn't match up with God's way, there ought to be friction. But that friction should lead us to repentance. Heaven's plan is peace between God and man. And the only way that we can be a part of this is to be a mediator of gospel truth. Look at verse 18 there. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We have to push up against the problems in our culture, but not with weapons of war, but as men and women of peace. Bringing the gospel of peace, telling them that there is a way forward in Jesus' name. I stand on God's word. The world stands on its own opinions. The church cannot stand on its own opinions. It must stand on God's word. Why did the reformers fight so diligently to preserve the word of God and make it the centerpiece of worship? Why? Because it's the one truth that makes the difference. The opinions of denominations, the opinions of great preachers, those things are not all important. What is all important is, thus says the Lord. And when that is our foundation, we can build together on that. Amen? We can build together on that. When we say it is on God's word that we will stand. So what happens when God is at work? Pastor Luke, not too long ago, did a good job of reminding us that it's important to define our terms. What happens when God is at work is revival. Revival is what happens when God is at work. To define revival is just to say that's when God is on the move. God is on the move. That's what we need. True revival always bears the mark of the Holy Spirit, is always from above, and always leaves us scratching our heads remarking, how did that happen? In other words, when it's revival... You can't say Jeremy did it or Ridgecrest did it. You can only say that was the hand of God. And you say, what, does, what is the mark of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's alluded to in the passage when it speaks of the fruit uh, there of ministry, which is the fruit of the Spirit. 
The marks of the Holy Spirit, uh, when they are in your life, that's when there's peace and mercy and joy and all those beautiful fruits of the Spirit. They're flowing from you. Listen, earthly wisdom got us the atomic bomb. Heavenly wisdom diffuses explosions in our hearts. This world has lots, uh, lots of knowledge, lots of, lots of facts and figures, but they don't have a lot of wisdom. And the reason I know that is because there are always wars and rumors of wars. Peace comes through Christ. Ideologies are often deadly, even if they're, if they're wrapped up in some kind of Christian mantra. It's not enough to just say you're a Christian and it's all going to work out. No, revivals are life-giving. It's when the Spirit moves. It's when people die to self. It's when you and I, common people like you and I, decide that we're going to give our best to Jesus no matter what. A harvest means life. It means fruit from the field, but it, it means food for souls. And that's what God is wanting to do. He's wanting us to live holy lives so that we can have a heavenly harvest. But the wind is blowing. The wind is blowing. The winds of our culture, the sinful desires of our hearts, the wind is blowing. And we may be trying to pedal uphill and trying to get where God wants us to, but we're not going to get there alone. We need the strength and power of God too often the image I, I get, we were talking about it this week in one of our meetings, it feels like sometimes Christians are just like a bunch of people standing in the middle of a field when the, when the field's ripe for harvest, arguing about which combine to use and letting, letting the wheat die in the field while we're arguing about methods. We don't have time for that. There's people that are lost and hurting. We need to be united in the gospel. We need to be together in Christ. We need to be peaceable. If our spirit is toxic, if our attitudes are ugly, then what we need to realize is that is not what we see here in terms of wisdom from above. That matches better with the wisdom from below. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that from the Word. Oh, Lord, I know there are many times when my anger or my frustration or my impatience causes me to be more of a harm than a help to the kingdom. And I'm guessing you've been there too. Oh, we need a harvest of righteousness. And it only comes when we humble ourselves. And the journey begins by complete surrender to Christ. So let me begin there as we wrap things up. Surrender to Christ. Only through the blood of the cross can we find forgiveness of sins. Once we have found forgiveness of sins, we have to spend the rest of our lives preaching the gospel to ourselves and humbling ourselves so that we do not give in to these deceptive and destructive tendencies. We need Jesus every day, brothers and sisters. So even if you are a Christ follower, it's time to recommit to Christ and come to him and humble yourself. Be saved. Repent. Humble yourself. Listen to the Spirit and move. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.